0: burning books with eric beck rubin
1: hello and after a longer than usual break for silly reasons as well as reasons that everyone listening knows about we're back with episode 36 of the burning book podcast where we will still discuss celebrate and explore great books very good books books in which there is something to appreciate or admire, as well as books that are the opposite of all those things. Today, the author is the prolific English writer, Anita Bruckner, and the book is her 1988 novel, Latecomers. I really, really wanted to like this book, and this book did often threaten to be liked. Did I mention it was published in 1988? (laughs) It seems wrong to be so immediately dismissive of a book that is so eminently genteel. It would be like slapping someone's granny. Take, for example, this opening paragraph that looks at a cafe scene, and more generally at the world, through the eyes of one of the book's protagonists, Hartmann. Always, by the way, just the last name, Hartmann.
0: Hartmann, a voluptuary lowered a spoonful of brown sugar crystals into his coffee cup, then placed a square of bitter chocolate on his tongue, and, while it was dissolving, lit his first cigarette. The ensuing melange of tastes and aromas pleased him profoundly, as did the blue tracery of smoke above the white linen tablecloth, the spray of yellow carnations in the silver vase, and his manicured hand, on which the wedding ring fitted loosely, without those deep indentations that afflict the man who has gained weight or age, a man to whom in any case his wedding might be presumed to be an affair of the irrelevant past. Hartmann gazed around the hotel dining room, coming to rest benevolently on the youngish men with briefcases at the adjoining tables. Middle management, he believed they were called, for whom lunch was inextricably bound up with discussions of a business nature. My dears, you do not look well, thought Hartmann. Your complexions are not clear, your haircuts unbecoming.
1: Just reading these words puts me into an oak-paneled chamber before a blazing fire. Such a nice feeling. And it goes on this way.
0: Hartmann aspired to the sublime. If, as Hegel says, in the true sublime, a sharp consciousness of inadequacy is required, Hartmann resided somewhere in the more comfortable territory of the false sublime.
1: Hartmann's co-protagonist, and in a number of ways double, is Fibich. Also, just Fibich, like in private school, or public school, or whatever. Hartman and Fivich both emigrated to England at the same time on the Kinder transport. They attended the same school, they became friends, then business partners, then roommates, and are as married to one another as they are to their respective spouses. But where Hartman is a grand and grandiose character, Fivich, though materially successful and materially sated, is something of a nebbish. And where Hartman, the voluptuary, lives in the present, fibich is prone to the past
0: it was fibich who with a groan alluded to past ordeals the past still worked actively in fibich fibich remembered fibich remembered aunt marie whom he called aunt and the flat filled with implacable gothic furniture where he had spent so many years wondering if his bewilderment would ever end he remembered blundering through his life, never knowing or indeed discovering whether his actions were acceptable or whether they were as futile as he believed them to be. It was Fibbich, at the suggestion of his analyst, who longed to return, but was fearful of doing so and thus existed on the horns of a dilemma that would never be resolved. Hartmann's solution to this problem had been breathtaking in its simplicity get rid of the analyst.
1: It's not like Hartmann can't remember his past, he can, he just refuses to linger in it. And this, I thought, would be the story of latecomers, Hartmann and Fibich, Fibich and Hartmann, past, present, future. But no. As soon as the reader grows intrigued by the dynamics between Hartmann and Fibich, the book leaves them for Hartmann's wife, Yvette. And before I can tell you how little I am interested in her story, I will say that from Yvette we are introduced, as if this were some kind of completionist flowchart, to Fibich's wife, Christine, a far duller character even than Yvette. And then, before we can wallow further in that miasma of disinterest, here come the children. The
0: children of Hartman and Fibich were beautiful.
1: Of course they were.
0: Their beauty seemed to Hartman ratification of the fact that the good times were come. Look, we have come through. While to Fibich, it meant that their very beauty might put them in jeopardy.
1: And of course, that's what Fivitch thinks, not at all predictable. Certainly, it's less eerie than later when Fivitch worships, yes, that's the word he uses, worships his son because his son is such an aesthetically blessed specimen. <laughs> Didn't Tolstoy write something about happy families all being boring? Well, he might have, nobody's read all of Tolstoy. In any case, these happy families in Latecomers are boring in the extreme, if that's even possible. Bruckner does a good job of sketching the characters, but in much the same way that any number of serviceable draftsmen were able to accurately sketch vases of flowers and bowls of fruit. They call those drawings still lives for a reason, but the Latinate version of the term nature morte, dead nature, gets closer to the heart of what is happening in the latecomers. In that novel, one child marries another and they have children, then they worry about the children, then they worry about each other worrying about the children, but nothing happens and nothing threatens to happen. These people are just a sliver short of being chess pieces on a board that is covered in dust because the game ended several years ago. Where, the reader thinks, did Hartman and Fibich go? How can I get back to reading this novel that I was promised? While I'd like to say that it gets better eventually, that these children and their marriages throw off some sparks that threaten to light the curtains on fire, I can't. From branching out to the wives of the supposed protagonists, we end up involved in the family of Hartmann's wife, Yvette, specifically the story of her mother, and how the two of them, Yvette and her mother, made it through the war. This, I admit, was a tangent I did not see coming, or more specifically, a tangent I did not see turning into a bona fide subplot. Nor did I foresee a comparison between Yvette's survival of German occupation— to Hartmann's escape from Nazi extermination. And as if to underline the point, Hartmann says a little later that Yvette's survival makes Yvette, like Hartmann and Fibich a latecomer. And this is how Hartmann explains the term to Fibich: You are a latecomer, like me. You had a bad start,
0: and one thing is certain, you can never start again. Do you never look back? asked Fibich. Not if I can help it, said Hartmann. I remember Munich, oddly enough. That is, I remember it in flashes. It looks beautiful to me, a beautiful city. But I have never been back, and I will never go back. Fibbich smiled. What's your secret? he asked. The present is my secret, living in the present, my daughter. And please, God, the children she will have. And our success, does that mean nothing to you? Isn't that a battle we won, however late we came?
1: The explanation is unsatisfactory to Fibich and to the reader as well. Perhaps a lack of satisfaction is the point. Perhaps Hartmann, in seeming to have dealt with his condition, shows in this explanation that really he hasn't. As a result, we sympathize with Fibich's suspicion of Hartman's well-being.
0: Hartman had triumphantly turned the tables on his miserable boyhood by becoming a mature and satisfied man in late middle age, and by enjoying the comforts of that age, not by bemoaning his lost years, but by discovering the voluptuous pleasure that each shortening day might bring. Look, we have come through! To spoil that pleasure, would be indecent, unthinkable. To reconnect Hartman with his losses would be an act of treachery and of cowardice. Whereas for Fibbich, those losses had colored his entire life like ink dropped in water. For him, it was all different. A hunger for absent knowledge, a longing, a yearning, not for those losses to be made good, That, he knew, could not come about, but to be assuaged by fact, by circumstantial detail, by a history, a geography. He longed to know what his life had been before he could remember it. He longed to walk a foreign street and be recognized. He imagined it, the start of wonder on an elderly person's face. Is it you, Vipic's boy? You used to play with my children. That was what he longed for.
1: Thing is, Fibic does eventually act on that wish and goes back to visit his home. But, well, the story eventually takes Fibbich to a point where Fibic envelops himself in the same wishful nonsense that envelops Hartmann. Fibic's return to England is in fact a replay of his first landing many decades before. Whereas that scene had been at Liverpool Street tube station, now Fibitch lands in the bustling Heathrow, which gives rise to these observations.
0: Fibbich was buffeted, stopped to rearrange his packages, and was nearly swept off his feet. After Berlin, it felt warm, even hot and stuffy. Children cried. A baby slung over its mother's shoulder, was in the deep sleep of exhaustion. He inched slowly ahead in a queue, longing to be free, to be home. The crowd grew denser, and he was aware of a commotion behind him. Keep still, cried a voice. Don't push, a woman has fainted. Fibitch, hampered by his parcels, felt the stirrings of the old panic. As he knew he must, he turned, in time to see the figure of a woman collapse into the arms of her husband, who bent over her to lay her on the ground. Together, they formed a mourning group, ageless, timeless, without nationality."
1: It's meant in this book to be a crescendo, but after more than 150 pages of stasis and misdirection, it's not even able to fulfill its intention of emotional manipulation. Yeah, that's right. It's come too late. Having quoted Tolstoy, I'll now go to Mandy Patinkin, you know, this guy. You're being naive and stupid. Something you never were before. He said in an interview that he stays away from comparing things. Comparison leads to violence, is what he said. I was drawn to this book, Latecomers, by the mention of the Kinder Transport, and I was disappointed by the lack of any original or insightful interest in the subject during the course of the story. It's never the book's fault when it doesn't measure up to the expectations created by the copy on the back cover, but this disappointment did make me think of far better books on the subject of the Kinder Transport. There's the widely known and, for my taste, overstuffed Austerlitz by W.G. Sebald. A book I did not enjoy until A I realized how much of it was a riff on the work of the French author Georges Perec, and B The very end of the book, which was described by my brother as a final movement of a Beethoven symphony, big, luscious, vertiginous, all of which it is. Thank you, Gregory. There is a book I loved a great deal on the subject of the Kinder Transport. It was the first novel of a school teacher named PJ Rushforth who since wrote another novel, then died, I believe, prematurely. His novel about Kinder Transport is called Kindergarten. It's told by a young person in the late 1970s, around Christmas time, as he watches a hostage crisis unfold on television. Interspersed between this already delicate and complex setup are fairy tales from the Brothers Grimm, letters written by children newly arrived in England via the Transport to their parents back in Germany and the unfolding inner life of the child who narrates the entire story. If I can go back for a second to George Parekh, who wrote extensively about the experience of being at a remove from the Holocaust as a child in hiding. Parekh described his work as a web of broken threads. I may have mentioned this before on the pod, I can't recall because I think about this expression, the web of broken threads, frequently. On some level, kindergarten, with its multiple seemingly autonomous storylines, aspires to being a web of broken threads. Latecomers, by comparison, never does. It's a domestic drama, if a drama at all. It tells of the normalcy that returns more or less to the lives of the main characters and those who follow or surround them. If there's a disturbance, it's neatly and tactlessly resolved by the story. Happily ever after. I've yet to hear this expression applied to the lives of those who survived thanks to the Kinder Transport. However, I heard this expression many times when I read this book. Thank you for listening. Next up on Burning Books will be a review of Morality Play by the usually dependably entertaining Barry Unsworth, Burning Books is part of the Litopia Network of Podcasts, and you can hear back episodes, subscribe, and reach me there via the Email the Show button, all by going to litopia.com, spelled the way it sounds, and following the links to Burning Books. I also enjoy getting your tweets, nasty and nice. I'm at Burning Books Pod. My thanks to Hakan Ozgan for the music. Teşekkürler. To Natalie Matheson for playing the part of Bernadette.
0: Fibich. Buffet. Buffet? No. Fibbich was buffeted
1: to Peter Cox, executive producer of the program. Aliyu And as always, Go Jays.